Well, I like that song, Hallelujah, it is done. Not yet to be done, not going to happen someday, but it's done. I am saved by the blood of the crucified one. And I know you all believe that, and it's, it's so nice to be with you. I, I value, I believe, as much as I value anything, my, uh, my place in this church. And, uh, my brothers and sisters, I have found fulfillment. I've never desired anything else. Uh, it's, um, I wonder sometimes how people live their lives when they don't have a large group, a support group, people that they can think about, pray about, call on when they need it. I wonder what a lonely life and what a lonely existence that is. But aren't we glad today that God has joined us in a fellowship? God has joined us in a fellowship. We have fellowship one with another, and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Come walk with me to the early Isaiah said in the 61st chapter, this is not what I said, this is what Isaiah said. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach glad tidings unto the meek. 
He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound, the opening of the prison, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. That's too lofty for me. Isaiah said that. But I would like to contribute. I'd like to participate. I'd like to be a part of that healing, life-giving spirit from God. I don't necessarily feel that I'm qualify for all that, but I'd like a crumb from that table. I'd like a little bit of it. And they shall build the old wastes. They shall raise up the former desolations. And they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. And the sons of the aliens shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. And ye shall be named the priests of the Lord. And men shall call you the ministers of our God. Ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory shall ye boast yourselves. Well, I just thought that sounded good. Talk about binding up the brokenhearted and releasing the prisons. Uh, it's a spirit that I love. <clears throat> you ever had a person come among our people and you, and you ask, who, who is that? Or if you had someone ask you, who is that? And they tell you who... And then they tell you who their mother and father was and their grandmother and their grandfather and who their brothers and sisters were and who their sons and daughters are. And so we, we don't really stand alone as just one person... We have relations. We have relatives. We have somebody bore us. Somebody begat us. And perhaps we begat somebody. We came from somewhere, from some influence, from some quarters. And they'll say, don't you remember they come among the folks back in so-and-so, Birmingham, or I've, whatever. Uh, so people as individuals have relationships that... If you know the relationships, it helps you better understand who the person is. It's hard to understand if they just say, well, that's John Smith, and that's all. They don't say nothing else. Hard to know who he is. Where did he come from? How did he get here? What, what's, what, who was his mother? Well, um, sometimes I think that things and events also don't stand alone. They have relatives. They have things that preceded them, that caused them to be, 
They have things that happened after them that they caused to happen. I'm talking about things and events. Um, we live in a, in a world today that is wrought with confusion and, and turmoil and much strife and wars and rumors of wars and conflicts of many descriptions more than we know about. Perhaps we know a little bit. Um, I like to run these relationships, and sometimes I run a dead end and can't get nowhere and have to back up, but every once in a while I, I feel like I make a connection. And uh, when, I think about, uh, when I think about freedom, and we hear a lot about it lately, especially since the war is over and the parades and the flags and the yellow ribbons and, and so much we hear about freedom, I wonder... Who is he? Where did he come from? Who, who begat him? How did he get here? Uh, and and I, I believe, you, you may disagree, I don't mind that. I believe that the freedom we know today in the world, as unreligious as it may seem to be, I believe these freedoms that America is built on, I really believe that they have as their origin the Word of God. Now that may sound like a far-fetched relationship, and sometimes, you know, we see at funerals, we'll see people sitting with the family and we wonder, what's the relationship? How did, how did that happen? Well, it's there. Usually, you just, you just got to search for it a while. So sometimes strange relationships crop up. But uh, I began to wonder if, if there was a, a Bible precedent to bondage, freedom, and I think indeed there is. Uh, I believe that the Word of God is... Uh, stronger and more powerful than the bounds of this building or the bounds of our few churches. I believe it stands for time and eternity. I believe it relates to every man in every country, in every situation, everywhere, in all the world. It always has and it always will. The Word of God is the truth. And it's far-reaching. It reaches further, farther, perhaps than we can conceive sometimes in our, in our little minds. <clears throat> a long time ago, you all know the, the miraculous story of the Exodus. When the children of Israel were taken captive into the land of Egypt, and they were in bondage there for 430 years under the hand of Pharaoh, the first Pharaoh was very favorable to them. But oh, how quickly things change. Situations change. And by and by, there arose another Pharaoh. And he wasn't very favorable with them. And he was also afraid. He was afraid that those Egyptians who seemed to be so lively and multiplying so fast, he was afraid that they would join themselves to their enemies and overcome them. So fear was a factor there. 
but he put them in bondage and in hard labor, making bricks with straw. Uh, they were still God's people. They were still God's people. In the midst of the bondage that they were in, they were still God's people, and God had respect unto their prayer, and he had respect unto the covenant that he had made with Abraham many, many years before when he prophesied to Abraham what would come to pass that his seed would sojourn in that land and become captives. But there came a time that God was ready to call his people out to release them from the bondage that they were in. The timing of this is rather important. Uh, this, this Passover event that happened that night in the land of Egypt with instructions from Moses for those people to know what to do was a timely event. It was, it was sandwiched between two other events. On the, on the one hand, God had spoken that 430 years they would be in bondage. God cannot lie. If God said it, it's going to happen. He cannot lie. There's few things that he cannot do, but that's one of them. God cannot lie. And he had spoken, and it had to happen, and indeed it did happen on the self-same day that mighty army of the host of Israel marched out of Egypt land, the timing was important. There was another thing, reason why it was important. Because God had said that in the fullness of time, I don't know what the calendar was. I don't know what the time frame was. But God said that in the fullness of time, He would bring forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And Christ our Lord was crucified on a Passover night. Jesus was crucified on a Passover night. The timing was important, and it was perfect. God did it just right. Well, you all know the story. You're all Bible readers, and I don't want to hold you long. The Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months, shall be the first month of the year unto you. This indeed was a new beginning for Israel. Would you say so? After 430 years in bondage and wandering and as practically vagabonds in the earth, God was going to bring them out, give them full deliverance, bring them over into a land that flowed with milk and honey. God would give them that land. They would not have to fight. They would not have to labor anymore. God would give that land to them. Indeed, it was a new beginning. And ye shall say unto the congregation of Israel, In the tenth day of the month ye shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. If the household was too little for a lamb, then they could get together with their neighbors and they could work it out. 
but every household had to be represented by a lamb. That lamb was going to be slain that night. Pharaoh didn't know it. The magicians didn't know it. All the hosts of Egypt didn't know it, but Moses knew it. God knew it, and he revealed it unto his people what to do that particular timely night. They had to take a lamb and slay that lamb and eat that lamb complete, eat, not leave any part of it, and smite the posts of their doors and their littles with the blood thereof, and it had a meaning. That blood had a meaning. Like you drop a pebble in the water and you wonder how far those ripples can go. They go on and on and on. This Passover event in that dark night in the land of Egypt was a pebble dropped in the water. It goes on and on and on. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out of the sheep or from the goats. Keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it and they shall eat the flesh in that night roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it representing the bitter harsh bondage that they were in they were to be reminded of this for ages to come throughout all their generations this was to be a memorial for them at this time of the year they were to make this sacrifice they were to do the very same thing as a memorial. They were to take the blood and strike it on the posts of the doors. It would be a token to them. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread. And with, I read that, not eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs and the pertinence thereof. Ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it in the morning ye shall burn with fire, and thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded. They were going somewhere. They had a journey ahead of them. Eat it with your loins girded, with the shoes on your feet, with your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. God help us, we know today what his Passover is. It's not a lamb. It's not a ritual. It's not a rite. It's not a, a thing of, of, of remembrance. It is a real living experience that we have today, the Passover. Amen. It's real. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token. God never told them that that blood was their salvation. That blood was a token of something bigger, better, greater, something spiritual. It was a token. Unto the houses whereof ye are, and when I see the blood, we got a song like that, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast of the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. 
forever. I think that we, those of us who born and raised in this country and live in America with all the freedoms we have, I don't, I doubt we can really fully appreciate what it is to be in bondage, the kind of bondage these people were in and, and the kind of bondage many people are in in the world today. Uh, this, this deliverance from Egypt was much too great uh, a story or an event to, to be bound up just within Judaism. It was, it was too big for that. It was too much for that. It had to break out. And indeed, it did break out. And when I think about freedoms and trying to trace them back and bring connections to it, I think about many things that have, that have happened in the course of the history of this world. I think about the Reformation that, that happened when people were in bondage, when the church and the state was one and the same, exercising entirely too much authority over men's lives, and they were not free. They couldn't think they could freely. They couldn't speak freely. They couldn't live their lives like they wanted to. They were in bondage. They were bound. And I believe, now I can't prove this, but I believe this, that when those God-fearing people, whoever they were, none of us know them, whoever they were, wherever they were, when they read these stories, they adopted this, they adopted this deliverance as their own. And they come to embrace this feeling that, yeah. was it one of our old saints wrote a song, says, I like Joseph was sold in Egypt to serve 400 years in Charlotte. I suspect these people adopted that feeling that they were like that. And they found themselves in bondage and they began to read the word of God and they began to see how God wrought deliverance and they increased their faith. And this story of the Passover deliverance began to ferment in them and they began to be bold about serving the Lord and they began to resist the bounds that were on them, the, the bonds that were on them and they, they broke loose of the shackles as known today as the Reformation, but it was a mighty event. And I think that it has its origins in this Exodus. I think it does. I think the people that discovered this country, I think they were in a similar situation. They wanted to be free. They wanted to serve God like they wanted to serve God. They did not want restraints from anybody. They didn't want the government to tell them what they could do and what they couldn't do. If they wanted to have a prayer meeting, if they wanted to raise their hands and sing, if they wanted to shout hallelujah, they had a desire to be free. That desire to be free is, is God-given. It's within the heart of men. I think it's universal. It reaches everywhere. It goes through every continent and every place. And people People today, right today, are risking great things. They're, they're doing heroic acts. They're, they're waging uh, voyages across waters. I read just recently where the people from Cuba are, are coming across the, the uh, water there to come to Florida, risking their lives on little ramshackle boats that are not nearly worthy enough because they want to be free. And freedom today, I believe, has its roots in the Word of God. Amen. And I believe Jesus come 
to set us free. And Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. Ye shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, strike the lentil and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. And the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lentil and the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you and ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. Now I believe that when that destroying angel came through that night he never recognized anything but the blood. They could have had their coat of arms hung on the door. They could have had their name tags out there. They could have been out there saying, I'm, I'm Judah, I'm, I'm Benjamin, I'm, I'm whatever they wanted to say. It didn't mean anything. But when he saw the blood, he passed over. It has a meaning. We're nothing. Our name tag is nothing. Our good works are nothing. But when he sees the blood, God recognizes the blood that is on our hearts and on our lives. God recognizes the blood. It was a memorial. It was a token and a memorial and an ordinance forever. God did that. And so it was proper then. I say that it was proper from that time forward for them to have this yearly observance, this memorial service to celebrate the the memory of God's deliverance out of the land of Egypt. I think it was proper. Did you know, and let me say this, if I respect every man's religious belief. If a man's sincere with his belief, I respect his sincerity. That's not to say I agree. And I would like that respect, and I don't ask you to agree. But if I say anything that's offensive, I, please know I, I, don't, I don't mean offense. There are many churches today who have a service called the Eucharist, which is the communion. I'm sure they're, they're everywhere, right here in Perry, in my town, in your town, wherever. They observe this. Did you know that that communion service that many people observe is in fact related to the Passover service. You know that? It is related to the Passover service. The Passover service was valid, it was just, it was imposed by God. God meant for them to hold that in remembrance. Now, if you, you remember things that are past, you don't remember the present. You experience the present. You remember things that are past. You can agree with that. You don't remember today. You remember yesterday. You experience today. This Passover ordinance that was imposed on them at that time was to be a remembrance. They were to remember the bondage with which God brought them out of 
there was coming a day that they would not have to remember anymore, but they would experience the deliverance. It would be a living deliverance that they would experience, and that, I believe, is the meaning of the Passover. I believe that. In the 22nd chapter of St. Luke, this was about the time that Christ was ready to be offered, and then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed, and he sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. The timing, you remember, had to be just... Th this is not coincidence. The crucifixion of Christ couldn't have taken place on any other day. I don't think. I don't believe so. Because it was the fulfillment. It was the fulfillment of these things that happened under, under Moses. And he, and he shall uh, show you a large upper room finished, there make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and there they made ready the Passover. When the hour was come, he sat down with the twelve apostles with them, and he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof, until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Many people today are still in the ritual. They're still in the memorial service. They're still, they're still into the tokens and the ordinances and the memorials. But if you'll read the scriptures right, I believe you'll find out that Jesus came to put an end to that. He was a fulfillment of the tokens and the ordinances and the memorials. And now we experience the living communion of the Lord himself. He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. And that's a beautiful song, but I'm not saying it because it's a beautiful song. I'm telling you that because it's my experience. It's, it's real. In the mornings, in the evenings, when I'm alone, the Lord walks with me and talks with me. And I experience, I don't have to remember the deliverance. I'm living delivered. And he took the cup and he gave thanks, even in my Bible here. This is a Thompson's chain reference. The side margin says the institution of the Lord's Supper. Well, that's what he said. But I, and he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God is come. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. Not telling them to start the thing over again. Telling them this is the end. I will no more drink of a supper like this. Break the bread. I will not do that anymore until I do it new with you in the kingdom of God. Matthew says that. And he took the bread and gave thanks and break it. And gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. Tenth chapter of 1 Corinthians. The cup of blessing which we bless. 
Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break. Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being... Do you know... Do you know that in this... In this Eucharist service... That there, ha there has been divisions... Among, among people who practice that... As to whether or not... The cracker or the piece of bread whatever it was, whether there were those who believed that that was, in fact, the body of Christ. There were. There were people who have, churches have been split over that one item, and there were those who believed that they should practice it, but it was only figurative. It's gotten that far. That's true. That's true. People have split their fellowship because of that. But I'd like, I'd like for you to be able to see, I'd like for you to be able to see the reality of the true communion of the Lord. And those services were right and just and God ordained until this one here. This was the end. This was the last. No more will I eat of the fruit of the vine until I drink it new with you in the kingdom of God. For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. When you, 11th chapter. When you come together, therefore, into one place... Apparently this went on for a while. Seemed to me like it did. Sounded to me like it did. This is not to eat the Lord's Supper. God don't want us coming together for ritualistic reasons and memorials. It's not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry and one is drunken. What have you not houses to eat and to drink in or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. The Lord did that that night. He did that that night. After the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, the cup, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do shew the Lord's death till he come. There was something coming. There was a time when he spoke these words to his disciples, his death, his resurrection, his second coming on the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days after the Passover uh, celebration, the day of 
Pentecost would come and the Lord would come. He would dwell among them in their hearts, in their minds. He would write them. Their sons and their daughters would prophesy. Their young men would see visions. Their old men would dream dreams. The Spirit of God would lift them up. They would speak with new tongues as God gave them utterance. He brought in the day of the true. He put behind him the day of memory. He brought in the day of the real. He put behind him the tokens and the ordinances and the memorials. And we now live in the kingdom of God with his spirit on us to bless us, to comfort us, to correct us, to uphold us. The spirit of God does it. It does it for me. It does it for you. I don't have to remember the Passover. I'm living in the Passover. The Passover is killed for us. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, I missed a verse, let a man examine himself. Brother Ray told you about that last night. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation unto himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Not discerning the Lord's body. It would still be pretty easy, I suppose, for uh, a natural man to want to take cups and saucers and bread and crackers and, and all of that. But how about us trying to discern the Lord's body? What is the Lord's body? Verily I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am that living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, we're talking about the Lord's body. He said he was the living bread. He shall live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Natural man receiveth not the things of God, uh, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. When Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, now, if they thought they had a tough one before, they're really going to have trouble with this one. Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, ye have no life in you, not discerning the Lord's body. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. When, when John the Baptist stepped out of the wilderness of Judea, I think Brother Everett mentioned that last night, dressed in his leathern girdle and his rough clothes exemplifying the way Elijah was dressed when he was here. He said, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I think there's a similarity that in, in the days of Egypt, somehow or other they knew something was going to come through that land. He says, who hath 
warns you to flee from the wrath to come. Bring forth therefore fruit worthy of repentance and say not within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say that God is able of these stones to raise up seed unto Abraham. But just a little bit later, he said, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. All of the tokens, all of the memorials, all of the ordinances, all of the remembrances that they had of that had a greater meaning than looking back to the days of Egypt. They were looking forward to the day that Christ would free men from the greatest bondage that they have ever known. There's no bondage compared to the bondage of sin. The concentration camps of Siberia, communism and Nazism and all of that put together doesn't compare when a man is bowed down and burdened down and shackled in the chains of sin. He may live in this country. He may have every freedom there is. He may have the Bill of Rights in his pocket. It doesn't matter if the bondage of sin and death has weighted you down. You are in bondage today as much so as those people were in Egypt. And the thing that's going to deliver you is not your own strength, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. The deliverance that's going to come to you from the bonds of sin is the blood. It is the blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And one more scripture over there in Revelations. I think it says, when John the Revelator was talking, when uh, they said, who was able to loose the seals? Uh, and he said, behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And he, and he talked about seeing a lamb. He saw a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. A lamb as it had been slain. A fulfillment of all that happened in Egypt and all of those years between when they went back yearly and made their memorial services. This was the fulfillment. This brought us out of the out of the uh, rituals into the true living word of God and our communion when we meet together and we break the flesh we break the bread of life we begin to have fellowship one with another in the spirit by the spirit we are fulfilling let me read one more verse I had to get ahead of myself here and I'm just about through Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge, I don't know that much about leaven, but y'all, you know, about dough and... <laughs> Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Right. Listen to this. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Yes. We are instructed to keep the feast. Not with old leaven. Yeah. Neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness. But with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So, my thoughts may be a little far-fetched in some things, but... I sort of believe that the things that we know today that are very prevalent in the news media, the things that are happening in other countries, trying to bring their governments into something modeled after America, 
I believe, I really believe it has its origin in the Word of God. You know, this thing we call democracy, govern, government by the governed, ruled by the ruled, uh, of the people and by the people, is, is really rather new on the scene. When you think about all the years that have transpired before us when nations have been ruled by monarchs and dynasties and kings and uh, the people were, they, they were not esteemed very rightly. They knew, they knew not what rights were. They didn't, they didn't know anything about rights. Uh, it was the royalty and uh, you, you uh, go over there and you see some of the castles that they built and the huge... Uh, buildings that they built and you, you begin to come to appreciate that it took the kingship of the kings and the peasantry of the people to ever accomplish that. We couldn't do that in this country today. We could not build what they built. With all of our technology, we couldn't do that. They did it because their system was so different. But our system today is, is, uh, the, is the, the front runner of freedoms in the world today. And there's, there's so many things that could be said about that. I, I was thinking the other day, uh, <coughs> run across a little article where the black, the black people years ago when, when they were in slavery, they kind of adopted this story too, you know. Yeah, they, they kind of felt like they were in bondage, and, and, I, and indeed they were, and, and they had a song about free at last. Thank God Almighty I'm free at last. And I understand they sung that a lot at their funerals. I mean, that was a rather moving, a moving thing. But, but what I'm saying is that if, if, my con if my connection is right, I'm not totally sure that it is, but I think that it is, I believe many of the current day things that we read about and experience and, and find that's going on in the world today, when you trace them back and bring them back, they have their origins in the Word of God. Whom the Son makes free is free indeed. So we are here today celebrating our Passover. It's not by ritual, it's not with slain beasts, it's not with blood, but it's with the unleavened bread of sincerity and yes. truth. We break the bread together. We drink of this cup. We, we eat the Word of God and the flesh of God. We let it get in, of us, in us and do its work and, and have its way. And it gives us strength. It gives us courage. We do this in the Spirit, not in the letter. The letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. And God has given us all of these things, and I thank Him for it. I would that everyone knew the freedom that there is in loving and serving the Lord. I think this desire to be free, just to be free, people risk their lives to be free. I think it is God-given. I'm a bit like that myself. I don't, I don't want to be rebellious, but I want to have the liberty to think my own thoughts. Every once in a while I have a decent one. Uh, I want the liberty to be able to think my own thoughts, to pray my own prayers, to say my own words. I'm a bit like that. I, want, I, want, I like the liberty. I want the freedom. I think God give us the freedom. And we can be free and we can also be subject one to another in the spirit of humility. And, God, and we will grow up unto the Lord a beautiful temple uh, that God will be pleased with. It's about time to bring the service to a close. We'd like to know if there's anyone in the congregation that would like to ask an interest in our prayers. Lord bless. Will there be one? Would there be one? Lord bless you. There be one that would raise their hand. We would. We, we really would like to pray with you. We would like to help you. If you've got things troubling you, if your life needs the Lord, we would like to help you. We honestly mean that. 
We'll stay here at these altars. We'll pray. We'll do what we can. But we, we know that very little we can do, but we know that God can take care. Will there be one? Well, if not, let's the congregation stand and we'll, we'll sing a song.